This is our last talk on hope in our series called Faith, Hope, and Love for Our Neighborhood. My focus today, um, as it had been in my last talk, will continue to be on um, bringing uh, hope to the UW campus, where I've been on staff since 1999. Um, And I think the big question that I'll be trying to answer is how can we both be hopeful and bring hope uh, to the students uh, that live around us in our neighborhood and attend the UW-Madison campus? Now, there there are two verses that I'm going to focus on this morning. The first is Psalm 1611, um, roughly says in your presence is fullness of joy. And the second is John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's the message version that I really like. But, but let me begin my talk. So, so one of my most joyful moments uh, or some of the most joyful no- moments in my life are when I first looked at our children, um, you know, after they were born. We, we waited a long time for kids. And it was, uh, at first it was surreal, but it was amazing experience seeing them and holding them in, in our arms. Now with Jacob, it was probably, it was joy, but mixed with a bit of fear, shock, and awe. Um, we'd only had a few weeks to get adjusted to the fact that we were going to be parents. It really happened fast. I mean, I mean, we had, we had less than a month, two weeks, I think, uh, from when we got the message that there was a woman who wanted us to adopt until we were actually um, like in Grinnell, Iowa, holding Jake in our arms. Uh, not a lot of time to uh, even get prepared. Um, and it just as we were holding him and seeing him, I think just what we were experiencing was just beginning to set in. But with Adele being the second, we were a little bit more prepared. It happened even faster, right? But we already had Jake with us. So I remember when we were in Houston, Texas, we were in the adoption agency and they brought uh, Adele to us and, and Lori held Adele uh, in her arm. She started crying. Um, and, and Adele, Jake was worried and he said, mama, why are you crying? And she said, don't worry, Jake, these are happy tears or tears of joy. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you have a similar experience. We wait a long time. We, there are high expectations and hopes. And when we finally hold them in our arms, it's, it's an amazing experience, but this isn't just true of our own children. We experience the same joy when we look into the eyes of other person's children as well. Last Sunday, I was sitting behind Linda and Irene Stolfus, and she was standing on the chair and looking back at me and trying to catch my attention. You know how little kids do that, right? And she caught my, my eye and she looked at me and she smiled kind of flirtatiously, right? As little girls tend, tend to do. Um, and it lit me up. I can't describe it. Even though I was preoccupied at the moment and struggling with something inside, when I saw her look at me and our eyes connected, uh, I smiled too. It made me it made me happy, and I experienced I think what was a moment of joy. Now, you maybe I've talked about this a little bit before, but I've been this past semester and year actually learning a lot about how God created our brains um, and how we are made um, uh, and how He made us actually for relationship, which is cool. It's kind of the thing that right. Uh, God, God said, and we've known all along as Christians, we talk about this reality. God created us for relationship. And now science is actually saying the same thing. They use something different. So Dr. Alan Shore, who's a clinical faculty at UCLA School of Medicine, he specializes in psych, uh, psychiatry and behavioral science. 
Uh, he has researched and developed a new understanding, for us anyway, of how the right side of our brain functions. This is a field of brain science, which apparently has exploded since the 1990s. And to simplify what his conclusion, he would say, we are hardwired for relationship, um, right? The thing that we've, we've been saying all along that God told us we were created for relationship. Now science is saying too, this is how our brains are made. And that, and that even more so the connections we have early in life as, as children, as babies are key for our emotional development and our sense of self. Um, and the, one of the most important relationships that any of us can have is with our parents, our father, and especially our mother. Connecting with, uh, with a person early on in our life is really key to, to our emotional um, and, um, and, and development of who we are, right? Now, Dr. James Wilder is a, is a psychologist who also has a master's in theology and calls himself a neurotheologian. He's taken Alan Shore's research and applied it to how God created our brains to help us form and shape character to become the people who he wants us to be. And, and a key emotion for the development of our character that both Dr. Shore and Dr. Wilder would say is joy. Joy is found not in circumstances, not, not in things going right, not in, not in having or possessing things. Those aren't, that's not joy. Joy is found in the face or the eyes of someone who's happy to be with us. Joy is found in the face or the eyes, right, of someone who is happy to be with us. Um, someone who wants to be with you, someone who listens to you, has a loving relationship with you, and is attuned or connected to you like a mother is attached and attuned to her child. Joy is found then in the eyes of, of another one who is happy to be with you. Um, and in, in a book um, that I've been reading that explores this reality called The Other Half of Church, the author points out that Actually, God says this many times. You see this in scripture as well. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's places where, uh, where, especially in the Old Testament, we translate it as the presence of God in English. The literal Hebrew word means face, the face of God, right? Sometimes we even say, I seek your face, right? But, but let me give two examples. Psalm 1611, which I'll talk a little bit about, more about. In your presence or your face, there is fullness of joy. And Psalm 21, six, you make him, the king, joyful with gladness in your presence, right? With, with gladness on your face. And, and, the, and the blessing, the blessing that, we, that we often hear, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, right? We have to, face means like when his face looks at us that it's his favor and blessing, his face shines on us with his glory, but it's also his joy of being with us, right? Connecting with us. And then we experience that we too experience joy when we connect with God, right? That's the idea. I want to experience that same joy of having someone who look, look at me who loves me. And I can tell it by looking in their eyes. Huh. Psalm 1611, the full verse says this. This is the NIV version. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So just a couple things. The word make known is yada, and it means both to have knowledge and of and experience, right? Um, it's similar to um, the same word that God said when he said, I make a covenant 
with you. I like, I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. Like a husband knows his wife or wife knows her husband, right? That knowing that goes beyond just the head knowledge, but includes the experiential aspect of it as well. So you personally are with me, we together on the path of life. You show me the path of life. You, you're with me on it, right? And that path of life, that's the way to live that, that does not go down to death. And we, we know that that when we're with God, we are on the path of life, right? Because he is life and he brings life to us. And it, and it means both physical life and spiritual as well. So, right? So it's the path of life that encompasses all of who we are. Um, and then you, you fill me with joy in your presence. You, you provide abundant uh, joy, gladness. I mean, there's so much, it's overflowing, right? And in your present, presence, again, the word is your face. I see it on your face. That you are, that you are, that you are, you're happy to be with me, right? And I experience joy being with someone who wants to be with me as well, right? And then with these eternal pleasures that comes from being with you, the eternal one, right? Um, at, at your right hand, by your side, right? Because I'm with you, because I'm by your side, um, because I'm in your presence and you're glad that I'm there, um, you fill me with joy. And that leads me on a path that leads, uh, that fills me with life. You know, I've been doing uh, this, a per ministry model based uh, in part on this research that I just mentioned to you and been seeing amazing results. And one of the things we do, and I'm going to have you guys do this in your house groups later um, this week, if you're willing to follow through with it, is I have um, the person I'm praying for remember and enter into a positive memory of a time they have encountered the goodness of God, right? Sometime they experienced him, his love, his goodness. Could have been when they were at a park, walking in the forest, could have been at a church service, it didn't matter. I had them describe it to me in detail. What did they do? Where were they? How did they feel, right? Who were they with? And then spend some time thanking God for this encounter and experience. And after that, I have them pray. I, I said, after they've done all that, they kind of fully entered into the experience. I have them ask Jesus, where were you? When this was happening, I knew, know you were present, right? You're omnipresent. Show me where you were. Make your presence living and active in this memory. And usually Jesus shows up, usually behind them or beside on either side. Um, and as, they, as Jesus becomes uh, clear, as they have a sense of where he's at, I ask them to look at Jesus and I describe him to me. What's he wearing? What does he look like? It's an interesting uh, exercise to go through because as they look at him, things often change. But here's here's something that I find almost universal uh, in the many times that I've done this already. So um, when they look at Jesus' face and they look into his eyes, they tell me he's smiling and he's happy to be with me. And I don't I don't even I don't even tell them about this research. I haven't given them any background information at all, and I've gotten this several times already. He's happy to be with me. Or I'll even ask them, ask Jesus how he feels about being with you right now in this memory. And, and the response is, he tells me he's glad to be with me. He's happy that he's here with me right now. Right? In your, in your presence is fullness of joy. Um, and, and, I, and I know when, when they do this, that what happens is, um, and this is brain science again, the relational circuits go off, right? They, they, as they connect deeper with Jesus, their ability to see him grows, and that helps them um, begin to interact with him so that whatever it is he wants to deal with, he's able to do in that particular moment. 
the difficult things, even, even immense traumas they're able to walk through because they're, they're not just aware of God, like he's told them that he's happy to be with them and they're experiencing joy. I, I, I prayed with a, a, an Ivy alum last week. Um, she's just learning this method, found out that I knew how to do it and wanted to practice with someone who was experienced. And as we talked and prayed, um, I, she began to confess that she had a hard time um, believing that, the, that, sh, that as Jesus came into her memory, that it was really him and she wasn't making it up, right? And, and uh, she was very almost uh, oppressed or depressed in the middle of this, um, of this time. And we, we, I tried to walk her through it. I tried to have her talk with Jesus, but we kept hitting the wall, going nowhere, and as we were praying the words joy, of joyful, joyful, we adore thee came into my mind. And I, and I spoke them to her and then I pray them over her. You know, the verse that says, chase the clouds of doubt and darkness, right? Right, chase, right. Um, fill us with the light of day. Um, and I asked Jesus if he would reveal to her to himself in a positive memory, in a way that she could believe and acknowledge that was actually him. And I expected him to be like behind her, right? Or just speak words and she wouldn't see him and she laughed out loud, which was very weird because she'd been so, her affect was so depressed. Um, and she said, I can't believe this. I can't believe this, which is um, kind of weird because it was, you know, saying that when it's so real to her at the same time. And she said, um, Jesus is swimming in the pool. She was, the memory was she was in Florida visiting some friends this spring thankful that she'd finally, you know, been able to go somewhere and, and kind of break the um, isolation she was experiencing. And she sees Jesus swimming in the pool, in the pool and she starts laughing. Um, and, uh, and as she, and I have her ask, ah, because he's kind of far away and she can't see his face, ask Jesus how he feels about being here in this memory with you. And he laughs at her and says, it's about time I'm happy to be with you. Now, when I spoke a few weeks ago about um, college students in, our, in the current generation, I mentioned some statistics. And one of the statistics that I mentioned is this generation is the most depressed and anxious of any generation in recorded history. Um, and you know, honestly, they have a lot to be anxious and depressed about. There are things that impact us as well, but not as much as it does them, right? The environment, the politics and division, racism, hate crimes, COVID, right? The isolation that they're experiencing, even social media and what it's doing to them, the world economy overall, and then tensions and potential, you know, issues with superpowers like Korea, China, Russia, Iran, right? Those kinds of things. Um, there's a song that came out in 2015 called Stressed Out. And the whole song is kind of focused on this idea of, I wish things were like they used to be when I was a kid, right? And, and here's one of the verses. It says, I used to play pretend. Give, we, we'd give each other different names. We would build a rocket ship and we'd fly far away. We used to dream of outer space, but now they're laughing at our face and singing, wake up, you need to make money. Yeah. And I think there's, this is just kind of like this epitome of the stress they're feeling. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle all these things that are coming at me. Um, they need joy. And I think, I think if they could experience some of the joy that's available to us, they would have hope. Not just hope for now, but right, hope for the future. 
Joy is a fruit of the spirit that college students really need. It's a God-made antidote for anxiety and depression. In fact, Dr. Shore says that most anxiety and depression can be connected to poor attachment or attunement in people. Right? The more detached you become, the more isolated you are, the less you attune to someone else, the more um, open you are to anxiety and depression. And Dr. Wilder says that part of the solution to that is joy experienced through deeper joy connections with God and others. Joy has been found to increase resilience to difficulties in life, resistance to unwanted change and attacks, and improve your health overall. In fact, it is one of the things that can that people say across the board can actually add years to your life. If you want to live longer, experience joy, find a way to live a joyful life. Um, that doesn't change the reality of what we're facing, right? Um, it changes our perspective. And as we spend time with those who are happy to be with us, as we focus on the thankfulness of times together with them in the past, we realize that we're not alone. Um, we remember and focus on the good things we have and we're reminded as believers, especially the faithfulness of God and his love for us. Okay? And college students need that joy. And we are the people who have the ability to be filled with it and, and bring it to them. And Jesus showed us the way, right? So now if you look at John 1.14, okay? So the message says this. This is message version. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So the word became flesh and blood. The word of God, the creator of all things and heaven and earth came to earth and became man. And Philippians 2 says he took on human likeness and was made in appearance as a man. And we say he became fully man, but yet he was still fully God. He actually became creation, right? Part of his creation. He became flesh and blood. And, and he moved into the neighborhood. I love that because it fits kind of our, you know, idea moving forward of being a neighborhood church. The little word, word used here is 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 tabernacle, right? He tabernacled with us. The tabernacle was a movable tent of worship. And he came, he actually came and lived among us. He, he tabernacled, he took up residence in a flesh and blood body, the very presence of God, God himself to live among us. And we know this, this verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us as the incarnation, right? God in the flesh, right? Jesus was God in the flesh. And then it goes on and says, we saw the glory with our own eyes. Um, you know, so, so part of the reason he did this was because we needed to see him with our own eyes, right? Not only, not only to, um, to acknowledge God's existence, but to know that he was real and really cared about us. Um, and, 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 and in doing this, by, by coming down on earth and, and becoming a man, we were able to see God's glory, like actually look at his glory without dying, right? Remember Moses standing on the mountain with God, uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, if you're pleased, you know, and, and uh, or it was actually was afterwards that whole thing, there's some um, disruption in the camp and uh, God says, I'm going to leave you alone. And Moses says, don't leave us. We're nothing without you. And finally he says, if you really do, like, have favor on us, like show, show me your glory, right? And, and God says, you can't see my face because if you saw my face, you would die. Um, but in this case, we could actually look on the face of God. We could see it in the face of Jesus, right? Like father, like son. 
um, we can see it with our own eyes, that one-of-a-kind glory, that, that, um, that the beauty of God. And it was displayed in how Jesus lived his life, not just the, the miracles he did, right? But in the compassion and love and mercy that he showed to people. Um, and he was generous inside and out. Uh, you know, or the, or the other way it's, it's translated, like in the NIV, is full of grace and truth. Um, and so not only would they see his face, um, uh, you know, and, and, ex- and experience his glory, they would experience his, his grace and truth as well, right? As he, as he spoke truth, as he revealed in new ways the scriptures to them, and as he showed them the love that the Father had for all of us by, by the healings that he did, but mainly also by the deliverance. He healed, he delivered, he forgave them from sickness, disease, and sin, right? Um, and, and, and because of that, through their connection with him, they were connected with the Father. And when they looked into Jesus' eyes, who did they see? They saw the eyes of the Father. Um, that was, uh, you know, and um, saying to them, um, I'm so happy to be with you. Um, as they experience his love and joy. Um, so Jesus came, came to reconnect us to God. And, 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 to, and, and through him, the disciples and the others encountered the love and acceptance of God and experienced true joy, right? And when, and when Jesus left, right, as he, after he had, he had died and rose again, uh, before, he, before he ascended into heaven, what did he do? He, he gave us the Holy Spirit, um, his presence, right? And so now we are the tabernacles of God. We are the tabernacles. We are the living tabernacles, or the church is called, right? The place where God dwells. Um, and we have the presence of God in us. And with that, the ability um, uh, and the commission to share God's love and uh, the, his joy with others. So that when they look in our eyes, they can experience the the joy of God. And through us, they can come to know Jesus. Uh, I, I know I'm not telling you anything new, um, this commission we have, right? Um, but maybe this understanding that we, we bring, well, another way to put it is, just like we are the presence of Jesus, we bring, we are the face of Jesus to this neighborhood. And as they look on us, they're supposed to see God reflect God and his love reflected back, his joy of knowing them and being with them, his longing and desire that they might become his children. Yeah, we, we are to incarnate, in some ways, Jesus to the world around us. Um, and, and we all know this, right? We've all experienced this ourselves. It, um, we, because of God, the way God has chosen to work in the world, we, we are often the first, the first um, like, can link in order for a person to come to know Jesus. Occasionally they have dreams, but more often than not, they encounter us and we tell them or we're supposed to tell them about Jesus. Now, every ministry that I've been a part of, every church has known this in some way um, that we incarnate Jesus and he expresses his grace and truth through us, right? As we, as, as we live amongst the people whom God has sent us to, and we are the face of Jesus to whatever neighborhood God puts us in. When Lori and I were doing inner city ministry in Chicago, it was built around this idea of, re, of relocation. Like we would move from our, from our safe, comfortable places into the places where God was calling us. 
and and not not as not as missionaries but as neighbors right we we and so that we would partner together with the believers in the neighborhood and and um uh, even deferring to them and their understanding of their people and serving as best we could, right? And as we loved each other, as we experienced joy in each other's presence, we would express that love and joy to the community around us. I mean, well, I'll give you one quick example. Um, Hugh was a 65-plus-year-old man who lived in the basement of the of the sixth flat that Lori and I were in. And he was alone and had no friends, and and he'd been that way since he was 14 years old. He had real difficult family life. Um, estranged from his entire family. Um, and, and, and he was a loner and trust was very hard to earn, right? So we rarely saw Hugh. Um, he spent most of his time inside his apartment and occasionally like once a day, he would go out for a walk. He'd walk a mile to McDonald's for a senior cup of coffee and a hamburger meal. Now, the owner of the six flat came to us one day and said, look, um, I'm really concerned for Hugh. We stopped paying his rent um, uh, I don't, and I don't know how to help him. Uh, would, you, would you do something? Would you reach out? And so we started, we started reaching out, knocking on his door, trying to get to know Hugh. And little by little, little Hugh opened up to us. And, and as he did, we were able to recognize the places he needed help. He hadn't seen a doctor in years. His glasses were broken and old. We helped him with those things. Um, he, he did, he's 60, over 65 years old and hadn't signed up for Social Security, although he'd worked most of his life. And so we helped him sign up for Social Security so he could pay his rent. Um, and little by little, um, we experienced the joy of knowing Hugh, and he experienced the joy of knowing us and through us the Lord. Eventually, Hugh started to come with us to church and started getting involved. This is an elderly white man who had been alone for most of his life, and he ended up finding a family with a church full of Mexican-Americans who just really loved and cared for this, this man. And when one Sunday, years after we had left, you know, Hugh didn't show up for church, some of the men went to check on Hugh and discovered that he died in his sleep. And you know what I, I like with the last years of his life were filled with some ex experience of joy of actually being known and wanted and loved and something Hugh had known little of most of his life. Intervarsity is built on the same principle, right? We bring the presence of Jesus to campus. We are the face of Jesus here at the UW and it's meant to be true for all campus ministries and believers on campus. And in that, we are meant to bring hope, right? The hope of a future, right? And for many students and faculty, their only encounter with Jesus are the believers they work with or live with or encounter each day. Now, our purpose in InterVarsity is to establish witness communities of students and faculty on campus. And we live, we have them, we ask them to live on campus with or nearby the students, loving one another, growing in love for God, and looking for ways to show others the grace and truth of Jesus. So these two people can experience his joy too, right? To bring hope. And this year, this actually, we had 30 to 50% more freshmen involved in our ministry here at the UW than in any of my 20 years here on campus. Um, and for many of these students, especially the ones living in dorms, this was their only community. Um, one of our chapters met here at, at, at FCBC Weekly, and you could tell that they were so happy to see a friendly face and filled with joy in the one day a week they got to connect with someone, you know, face to face. Um, and unanimously, like, they would say that, that all these students say the same thing. I wouldn't have made it through this year without the, without this community, you know, and, and I believe without the hope and joy that it brought them. In one of the chapters, even we saw seven students make first, like, 
we call it adult decisions for Jesus Christ, right? As they decided this is really what how they want to live their life, as they came like face to face with the joy of, of knowing Jesus. And 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 it's true for us too, right? At FCBC. Um, in God's presence is fullness of joy. And and we have the ability to bring that full joy to the triangle, to the green bush, and to campus. We're called to bring the presence of God. And to be the face of Jesus reflecting his delight in being with them. Um, and with students, we can help them experience the joy, this joy, um, you know, in, in simple ways, just by being a family, by inviting them into our presence and, 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 um, and finding ways to go out and get to know them. Um, in, in the email I sent you this week, we wanted, the elders wanted to express to you that the real reason we realize we've been in this process for these four years is has been about what God is uh, reminding us of who we are and, and helping us become more of a neighborhood church. Um, and, and the real question, I think we've been asking the question, should we, you know, should we build, should we sell, right? The real question is rather, what does God want to build us into? Who does he want to make us into? And, and what does it mean then to be a, the, the tabernacle of, of, of God, right, here in this neighborhood, right? Um, what is it? What and how can we bring uh, the joy uh, of Jesus, His His presence, His face, uh, to our neighbors? Um, so, I'm going to send some um, uh, questions and um, an exercise, and maybe a Bible study to your house groups. That you can, I want you to look at and maybe use some next week. And there are a lot of questions that we we need to answer that go along with this. But um, but I think one of the first is for me is even before we can bring joy to others, we have to experience it first ourselves, right? So what and we have in the past. There are times when we have. I think you could look back and remember times together when you really experienced joy. Maybe some of the camping trips that we used to do. I remember some of the retreats that we took. Um, but what would it look like moving in the future? into the future for our body to be of Christ, to be filled with joy, right? And, and how, can, how can we become this, um, the face of Christ together for our, for our neighborhood? Right. How, can we, how can we both experience joy and the hope it brings and bring that joy and hope to others? Um, at, a, at an elder meeting the other night, Janine made a comment that I kind of brushed off and, and regretted. I'm sorry, Janine. And the comment was around um, the feeling like it feels like we're always striving for something. And we, we need to talk more about this. Um, she, she compared it to how different it felt for her growing up in a church um, where the expectations were known. And, um, and, and um, not to say that I understand exactly where she was coming from, but, but I have felt a lot like being in church and being in leadership is a lot of striving. And there's a real like, struggle to experience joy and I think even as elders we need to start asking ourselves the question what does it mean to be joy-filled right how can we strive less and trust more right how can we grow in our faith and hope in God for the future and not worry so much about those things maybe that's where the strife comes from um yeah so I'm kind of not leaving you with like it, 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 it closed. I want to, I want to share like 
to be our incarnational means can mean a lot of things. I really wanted to focus just on this idea of like being the face of Jesus in the neighborhood. But but for some of us, it might mean big changes. Like Lori and I have considered the idea of, of moving into the neighborhood. We've kind of toyed with that on and off for years. And there are a lot of things that uh, prevent us from going into that. And maybe the same is true for you, right? I can think of lots of reasons why we struggle with this. Um, one would be... Uh, just the cost, right? The other would be the upheaval, right? Of having to move out of our house uh, and transition in a season when I think we would rather kind of relax more rather than get busy. Um, and just, just lots of things like that. There's a lot going on um, for us in general. Um, I think um, another, another thing that makes this hard is uh, what the mission that we realize in our, that FCBC is called to isn't the reason many of us started coming to FCBC right? Um, We came for different reasons. Lori and I came because we needed a respite in between helping plant the church that had failed and having left another one that wasn't working for us trying to figure out where God was leading us in the future. Uh, And we were were deeply ministered to and encouraged by by the church and especially Matt and Sue in that particular season. But one of the things that really did attract us and cause us to stay was the openness that FCBC had to be a place that that um, you know, it opened itself to campus ministry with no strings attached, and it had this call to both the campus and to the triangle, the two places that I, both Lori and I feel called to, and want an idea of being a bridge between the two. Look, I, I feel like I'm talking too long, and there's too much here, but I'll I will I will send the house groups some questions, a study, and an exercise to do this week, and I hope that you continue to engage it. But let me just pray for us now. Um, you know, kind of as we as we move forward um, with our day, Lord, Lord, I, I thank you that you um, and in your face we experience joy. That you're you delight and uh, in being with us and long to spend more time with us and us with you. Um, and I thank you that you give us the ability, God, to be, to be the your face uh, on campus, Lord, and in the triangle and in Greenbush, and that you've called us to be a people of hope who bring that hope to others. And, and I, I pray, God, that you would show us first how to, how to experience joy ourselves, how to, how to worry and strive less, um, and, then, and, then, and then show us how we can do that um, in, with others, God, in order to bless them and to bring them hope.